Well, there's this documentary, National Geographic, I think, and there's this African mother of eight children. She's cooking over a fire in a mud-floored hut, and the reporter asks her while she's stirring this pot, what is poverty? And she responds, poverty is having nothing to give. Do you consider yourself rich? Really, no one does. Many, many people uh, have great wealth, but do not consider themselves wealthy. Why? Well, it's because there's always something, someone with a little bit more rich, poor. How do we define these things? For that woman cooking poverty is having nothing to give. We learn about the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Are the Macedonians rich or are they poor? Are the Corinthians rich or are they poor? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is on a fundraising campaign. He's going around collecting funds for the church that's suffering in Jerusalem. Christians are starving in Jerusalem and those surrounding churches, Paul is collecting money from them to support the Jerusalem church. He's making an appeal. He's making an appeal to the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 to come good on what they have already pledged and what they've promised to give to Jerusalem. And this puts Paul in a precarious situation because he's told the Macedonians that the Corinthians are going to be generous. We find that out in chapter 9, verse 3. He says, I am sending the brothers in order that are boasting about you in this manner should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready. Paul is appealing to these Christians to be generous to other Christians in need. Now have a look, if you want to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, well keep your Bibles open there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. Paul opens his appeal in this way, he says, And now brothers and sisters, we want to give... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. There Paul is talking about the wealth of generosity that has been given by the Macedonian churches. But in fact, Paul doesn't call it generosity there, does he? What does he call it? He calls it the grace of God. Uh, there are many chapters that are famous in the Bible for certain things. Those of us who have been around church for a little while perhaps know those kinds of chapters that are famous for one thing. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. The, the faith chapter from Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses, by faith Abraham, by faith Joseph. Well, do you know the grace chapter? The highest concentration of the word grace outside of Romans chapter 5 is found in these two chapters, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. It's a grace chapter, and yet, what do 
we often think of it as, it's often thought of as the money chapter. But here, we're reminded that when Paul thinks about money, he thinks about grace. And when he thinks about grace, he thinks about money. Have a look there in just in uh, chapter 8. You can see the repetition of the word grace. Verse 1, I want you to know about the grace that God has given. Verse 4, he says, He pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Literally, that word sharing there is taking uh, the grace of taking part. Verse 5, he gave them, literally, he graced to them. Verse 7, he says that he wants them to excel in the grace of giving. Verse 9, he wants them to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace after grace after grace. Why is it that in this context of trying to raise money, is Paul talking so much about grace? Well, it's because in and behind the acts of human generosity stands the working of God's grace. In and behind the acts of human generosity stands the workings of God's grace. Generosity is an act of God's grace because God's grace is experienced through our acts of generosity. And I want to show you really four ways Four ways in which generosity is an act of God's grace. Um, you'll see they're a bit of an outline. Firstly, that um, generosity is an act of God's grace because it enriches our lives in line with God's grace. Have a look at that first one. There's a paradox, there's a contradiction in this passage, and I don't know if you noticed it, but it's there in verse 2 of chapter 8. These Macedonians are in severe affliction. They're suffering. And yet, Paul's not collecting for the Macedonians. He's actually collecting from the Macedonians. And they choose to give under such severe affliction. They choose to give an abundance, or, or abundantly, and out of an abundant joy. They, these Macedonians, are overflowing with extreme generosity. On the one hand, Paul says the Macedonians are poor. But on the other hand, somehow they are incredibly rich. From them flowed super abundant generosity. So how does that work? Well, to answer that question, we need to have a look at verse 9 of chapter 8. Paul says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. It's a verse that's perhaps familiar to some of us, and it's a verse that's often misunderstood, because we can think that what this verse is saying is that although he was rich, at one time he was rich, he momentarily gave up his riches. He became poor in the incarnation so that he might divest those riches to us. But is that really what happened? Did Jesus ever become poor and lose his riches? Was Jesus ever not God? Was Jesus ever not powerful, all wise and all loving? No, of course he wasn't. 
In the context, what becomes clear is that Jesus is rich. And precisely as he becomes poor for others, we see that he becomes rich. A better translation might be, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that being rich for your sake, he became poor. Jesus' riches are seen in how the grace of God is expressed, precisely in his self-giving love. That is indeed how he is rich. And that is the grace of God. God's riches are seen. God's immense wealth is seen in his self-giving love. That is what he is rich in. That is the divine currency. God's riches are not seen first and foremost in the fact that he owns all the cattle all the cattle on a thousand hills. God's riches are seen first and foremost in the way that he gives himself in love, in his self-emptying, self-renouncing, self-giving, sacrificial love for you and for me. He was rich. Lord Jesus was rich in power, yet he became poor, taking on human nature to experience humanity in the way he did. Vulnerable and dependent as a baby, he was rich. He was rich in life. A life that he gave up. A life that he gives to us so that we are his workmanship and his new creation. He was rich in wisdom. In Christ are all the wisdom, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He was rich in moral purity. Yet he took in our sin that we might become washed, clean and holy in his sight. He was he was rich in relationship, yet he became poor, experiencing that cry on the cross. My father, why have you forsaken me? He became poor so that we, who are now his sons and daughters, might never have to cry those words. He is rich. He's very rich. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. Do you know that Paul assumes here in this section that we are actually poor? He assumes that we've become rich, which means at one time before the Lord Jesus, we were poor. We see that in the Gospel. Romans chapter 5, very rarely will someone die for a righteous man. But for a good man, someone might possibly die. But while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. He's rich. And he's given us his wealth in his sacrificial love. And so he enriches our lives as we are generous in line with the gospel. Do you know in the ancient world, some of the, uh, the most respected thinkers in the ancient world, like Aristotle and Seneca, many of these ancient thinkers said, if you see a poor person, don't give your money to a poor person. Uh, essentially, you won't get a return on your investment, is what they said. 
Give it to someone who can pay it back. Give it to someone who can actually make the most of your generosity. We're reminded here in 2 Corinthians 8 is what we're reminded of is that he gave. The Lord Jesus gave himself regardless of the prospects. He gave himself. He gave all of himself. And if you think about it long enough, it will, well, in Paul's language, in chapter 9, verse 15, it will leave you speechless. It's an indescribable gift. When we become sacrificially generous, we become rich, like our God, rich in self-giving love, like the Lord Jesus. There's a very famous verse in this passage in chapter 9, verse 7. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. Perhaps you've heard of that phrase. Have you ever thought why God loves a cheerful giver? God loves a cheerful giver because, well, that's how God gives. And his purpose in our lives is to conform you and me to his likeness. And so when God gave his son for us, when God gave his son for you and me, he didn't do it bitterly. He didn't do it reluctantly. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, what Hebrews tells us. That's how God gives. And that's how he wants us to give, so that we might be like him when we give, sacrificial, joyous and generous. And that's why in verse 4, these Macedonian Christians are begging Paul to earnestly, to earnestly give to the Jerusalem offering because they want the grace of giving. They want to reflect the character of God in their lives. Over the years, I've seen extraordinary generosity in our church. People have given significant amount of money to our church and they continue to do so. And sometimes when they say, look, I'd like to give this gift to our church, I, you know, I, I, I kind of become a little awkward and I kind of think, no, you probably, you probably shouldn't do that. Perhaps that's too much to give. We're, what we're reminded of here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is that when we give, we become like the God who has given to us. And so for me to say, no, 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 please don't do that, in many ways I could be stopping them being conformed to the likeness of God. Paul doesn't make any apologies for asking for Christians to be generous to the collection in Jerusalem. And we ought not make any apologies either. To be generous to give to the work of God, to give in the life of the church, is an opportunity for the grace of God to be reflected in our lives. It's an opportunity for us to be like God. So firstly, we see that generosity is an act of God's grace because it enriches our lives. Secondly, we see that it deepens our dependency on God's grace. If giving like God is self-renouncing, self-giving, it means that in being generous, there's a sense in which we are vulnerable. 
that it's risky. And one of the things that often stops us from giving is the possibility that the gift could be squandered or the gift might not be reciprocated in the way in which we've given it. We want to see our gift grow often. And we want to know that perhaps as we're giving, it will be replenished. And so in giving, it puts us in a vulnerable spot. Macedonians are giving, but they are giving beyond their means. They're stretching. And in verse 5, we learn that they gave themselves to the Lord first and then to us. How was it the Macedonians stretched themselves in such, such a sacrificial way? Well, they entrusted themselves to God first and therefore, to their, and therefore their, their resources to him. As we are generous with the resources that God has given us, one of the benefits that's at work in our lives is that it deepens our dependency on God's grace. Giving deepens our dependency on God's grace because we entrust ourselves to him first. Giving generously to God's work is a means in which God uses to deepen our trust in him. And so sometimes it's important to ask when we're stagnant in faith. It's important to ask, are we giving? Are we giving? And are we giving generously? Are we growing in our giving? Paul says in chapter 8, verse 7, he wants them to excel in this act of grace. In other words, there in verse 7, are you growing in the act of grace? Paul lists some of those ways in which we might be growing in the Christian life, faith, speech, and knowledge. But giving is as important in Paul's mind as faith, speech, and knowledge. Make sure you're also generous, because if you don't grow in generosity, then it will hold you back, the Apostle Paul was saying. They gave themselves to the Lord first, and then to others. If, that, if your generosity doesn't cause you to go to God, to depend on God, then it probably isn't sacrificial. If in your generosity, if in your giving, it doesn't cause you to release some control or let go some of the idols of your heart, the things that you rest and cling to more than God, then it's probably not doing what it's meant to do. Generosity is meant to deepen our dependence on God's grace. Thirdly, generosity strengthens our confidence in, God, in God's grace. In chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, Whoever reaps sparingly, sorry, whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Is Paul saying here that we can purchase our blessings? If you give enough to the kingdom, will you get some back for yourself in return? Well, no. That would go against everything that Paul has said about grace. It's a gift regardless of worth. What's important to understand is that over and over again in this passage, the theme of abundance comes up. 
In chapter 9, verse 8, he says, God is able to make grace abound in you. And he roots this in verse 14 of chapter 9, that the grace of God is surpassing. That the grace of God is superabundant there in verse 14. In their prayers for you, sorry, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. It's overflowing, Paul says. It's in surplus. So in the economy that God is working, it's not one of scarcity. So that lady who was asked in Africa, what is generosity? Well, she was right. Poverty. Poverty is not being able to give. And if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not poor. You are sitting on an endless supply. And he will give. And he will give. And in fact, when we know he will give, when we give, and the more we give, the more he fills up. And it might not be in your time. And he might not resupply you in the same way. But he will continue to give and give. The reaping is in God's own time and his own way. Generosity strengthens our confidence in God's grace. And finally, generosity extends the cascade of God's grace. You see, there, there is this pattern there in verse 11. It says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see there in verse 11, there's a pattern. Why have we been enriched? We've been enriched there in verse 11 to give. And this produces thanksgiving. And it produces thanksgiving to who? Well, it's not poor thanking the Macedonians or the Corinthians. In chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, is it the grace to the Macedonians or is it the grace through the Macedonians? The answer is both. The picture here is of one of those fountains. I don't know if you've seen those um, fountains with the chocolate that runs. They've got kind of you know, three or four levels of bowls. And the first bowl fills up and then that cascades down and fills up the second bowl, the third bowl under that and the fourth bowl. It's a cascade here of God's grace that Paul has in mind. When we give what is given to us, we can give it to others and it has this sense of generation. We're in fact caught up in this dynamic flow of the grace of God. The Corinthians are more than being called to imitate the grace of God. They're being called to embody it. The grace of God isn't simply a nice idea that they like. It's a reality that they're to display in their lives, that they're to extend to others as it's been extended to them. And that's why God is glorified in it. The Apostle Paul never thanks 
churches for their gifts. He always thanks God. It's always to God his thanksgiving for the churches. That's why it's contagious. That's why it overflows. Because God has shown his grace. This grace is displayed in the church. And as it's displayed in the church, it cascades to others. It's not simply a transfer of goods as a way, the way in which church is generous, but it's a momentum. It's a momentum in generosity, one for which God has given us to us generously. And we reflect that in our lives. And Paul wants the Corinthian church to be swept up in. He wants them to be reminded of this grace. He wants them to embody this grace. And he wants us to be reminded of this grace, to be, to be embodying this grace and to be swept up in it for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we sing.